All right, Mark chapter 2. I want to connect again with this very familiar portion of Scripture. Uh, Most of us have read it many, many times over, but let me give you a couple insights from it. Verse number 1, and again he entered, Jesus entered into Capernaum after some days, and it was noised that he was in the house. I love that phrase. I mean, when Jesus came to town, that was a big deal, amen? People were excited about it. And most likely that was Peter's house because that's where Peter uh, lived. Verse 2, and straightway many were gathered together insomuch that there was no room to receive them, no, not so much as about the door. And he preached the word unto them. And they came unto him, bringing one sick of the palsy, which was born of four. In other words, he was carried by four people. And when they could not come nigh unto him for the press, they uncovered the roof where he was, and when they had broken it up, they let down the bed wherein the sick of the palsy lay. When Jesus saw their faith, he said unto the sick of the palsy, Son, thy sins be forgiven thee. But there was a certain uh, of, of the scribes sitting there, and reasoning in their hearts, why doth this man thus speak blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God only? You know, when God works, there's always critics, amen? There's always people that stand back and and have something negative to say about the work of God, but it's wonderful when God does his work. Slip down, if you would, uh, for a moment, just to verse 11 and 12, uh, verse number 9. whether it be easier to say to the sick of the palsy, thy sins be forgiven thee, or to say, arise and take up thy bed and walk. But that which ye may know, that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins, he saith to the sick of the palsy, I say unto thee, arise, take up thy bed, and go thy way unto thine house. And immediately he rose up, took up the bed, went forth went before them all, insomuch that they were all amazed, and glorified God, saying, we never saw it on this fashion. That's a great statement. When God does something, you know, it's just like man cannot do, and so it's completely different. So when you look at this passage, verse 5, his sins were forgiven. Verse 11, his life was changed. When, when, when people meet Jesus, transformation always takes place. It may be a progressive uh, transformation over a period of months or years, but salvation is instantaneous. When we trust Jesus, we're saved, amen? And then it's a growing process, and we become more like him. I, I like it in verse 5. He, he calls him by the word son, by the name son. Son put that man into the family of God. But then in, in uh, the, the word forgiven, uh, in that same verse, put him into fellowship with God. When we are forgiven, we become God's children, amen? And we have fellowship with the Lord. So here's, here's what I want to talk to you about today in Sunday School. I want to talk to you about reaching the lost at any cost. Reaching the lost at any cost. I, I, I believe with all my heart that it's easy for churches to lose sight of the main thing. And the main thing is to make the main thing the main thing. And that's seeing people come to Jesus. Amen? When people get saved and they're discipled and they grow in grace, boy, that is just such a wonderful wonderful thing that takes place in hearts and in lives. So Jesus is all about lost people. In fact, according to his mission statement in Luke chapter 19 and verse 10, that's why he came, to seek and to save 
that which was lost. That was his purpose for coming. He, he didn't come to walk on the water, though he did. He didn't come to restore sight, though he did. He didn't come to feed 5,000 people, though he did. He came to seek and to save that which was lost. That was his mission. That's what it's all about. That should be our mission, of course, as well. So he gave us that great commission. We find that in Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, Book of Acts, and reiterated all throughout Scripture, obviously. Um, and we, his people, his children, his servants, should follow in his steps. We should walk as he walked. Uh, we should do what he did. We should follow him, be conformed to his image, that we too can uh, lead folks to Jesus Christ. So the question is not, should we reach lost people with the gospel? Of course we should. Obviously, that's why we're here. Think of it this way. God could have taken us to heaven 10 seconds after we got saved. Amen? I mean, the moment you got saved. I was an 8-year-old boy, rode a bus to Sunday school, I told you in the past, I met my wife on that bus. We met in the third grade. We didn't get serious to the fourth, but nonetheless, we rode that bus. And, you know, right then, when I trusted Jesus as an eight-year-old child, I could have been raptured up. But God left me here, as he left you here after you were saved, for a purpose. Right? To do what Jesus came to do. So... That's our mission. So the question is, how can we effectively reach more people with the gospel? I think that's the burden on your pastor's heart. I think that's the burden and should be the burden on all of our hearts. As I I look at my life, I think, man, I want to be more effective at doing that. I want to connect with more people. I want to be pointing more people to Jesus. That's what I want to be doing. So when I think about this passage of Scripture... I'm going to give you five quick lessons that I think we can learn from this, and then five steps to take to help us be effective at reaching lost people. So the first part is kind of the platform that will help us understand, and the second part is the application. So if if you're going to write anything down, I would challenge you to write down uh, the steps to take at the very end, because I think those are just real succinct and we can just get to those. But let me give you the, the broader perspective from this passage. So when we look at this passage, a true story, a beautiful picture of how to reach lost people for Christ, let me give you these five lessons. Number one, this man was brought to Jesus because people cared. People cared. You've heard the expression, people don't know how much, or they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. People that brought him, this this paralyzed man, they had care for this man. They had concern. Um, There was no way that that paralyzed man could get to Jesus without their concern, without their help. They cared enough to do that. I wonder, as we think of our relationships in life, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, people we meet, I wonder do they really know how much we care about their soul? About where they'll spend eternity? I wonder if that resonates with them. You know, if we, do, do, do we care enough to, you know, invite them to church? Do we care enough to um, share the gospel, share a track? That was a great testimony this morning about all, all the folks that were sharing gospel tracks. But I, I often think back to King David in his passage in Psalm 142 and verse 4, 
where he said, I looked on my right hand and beheld, and there was no man. He said, no man would know me. Refuge failed me. And then the sad statement, no man cared for my soul. I would hate to think that we're living next to people. We work with people. We go to school with people. And they do not have a sense that we as believers care about them, really care about them, where they're going to spend eternity. It's, a, it's real. So I think these four men, at least one of them, maybe all of them, had that devotion, had that care, had that concern. See, when, when no one cares, to be honest, it's a pretty lonely feeling. You, know, you think about the suicide rate today. I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. It's, it's just, you know, it's astronomical numbers. The loneliness, the fear that sets in when you feel as if no one cares. There are people out there in the world, in our world, that needs someone to care. And this man was brought to Christ because people cared. I was in uh, preaching outside of Seattle about two, three years ago. And I went to the restaurant. I was supposed to meet the pastor for dinner that evening. And I got there a little bit early. I'm kind of an early bird guy. And, um, you know, I just my wife runs late, and that um, causes me to run early. Um, for her, but anyway, she's not here, so I won't go into that. But um, that's another story. I, you know, I think about before before marriage. You know, you typically marry your opposite, right? Um, and before marriage, it's really, really intriguing. And then after marriage, it's really, really irritating. But that's another story. <laughs> you know, you have to deal with that. So, so anyway, I was I got to this restaurant. And I was just standing there, and the hostess was there. And and uh, as God would have it, it wasn't a real busy time. We were. It was a kind of an early dinner. And um, I just stuck up a conversation with her. And she started then kind of unloading various needs in her life. And I told her, she asked me why I was there. I told her why I was there. I was a, I'm a pastor. I'm here to preach at a church. And, and um, so she started sharing some prayer requests. And so we had a brief word of prayer right there. And at any rate, um, she said, well, what, what church is it? And I told her. And um, she said, well, when are you going to speak? And I told her. It was the next day. And what time? And I told her. And um, I left not thinking that that lady probably would remember any of that information. But would you know, the next morning, there she was. She was in that church, and it was a gospel-centered message. And that morning, she was the first lady, the first person in the church to step out and come forward and get saved. Now listen, it, it, wasn't, a, it wasn't the dynamic message. It wasn't me. It was just somebody took time to care. And I think she responded to that. And thank God she's uh, in, a, in a church where they do have care, like your church here, of course. So uh, praying, the gospel tracts, inviting people, all of that is an illustration that we truly care. So that's the first lesson. The second lesson is this man was brought to Jesus because of a non-spiritual need in his life. A non-spiritual need in his life. You say, didn't he have a spiritual need? Yes, he did. But that wasn't what got him in front of Jesus. Those men who probably knew of his spiritual need, or at least some of them, they were focused on the paralysis. 
They were wanting him to get to Jesus, realizing that if he could come face to face with Jesus, not only would that non-physical need be met, or that physical need be met, um, but the spiritual need would be met as well. So when you think about that story, um, you know, I think there's a lesson for all of us to be watchful for people who may not, who are hurting, who have needs, and may not really understand they have a spiritual need. You know, this world is more secular than it's ever been. We are so far removed from Scripture. We are so far removed as a society from the Bible that I don't even think most people think they have spiritual needs. I think that these, these people uh, just, you know, are coasting through life and hope that it turns out some way at the, at the end of the day, which obviously if they don't know Christ, it won't. Um, but this, these men saw this guy with this uh, physical need in his life, and they used that as an opportunity to get him to Jesus Christ. Now, when I think about my life, uh, 48 years of full-time ministry, I, I think about the many, many people that, that I have been able to reach, people that ultimately got saved, um, because I recognized they had a need other than spiritual, in addition to being spiritual. Uh, folks, for example, uh, who lost a loved one, and just being there at that moment in time, to minister to them at that moment in time with that need in their life, or someone who was going through a divorce, or someone who had a serious illness, or someone who just had a a horrific accident, or someone that was unemployed. Those kinds of things use those opportunities to open the door to share the gospel with them. And and they think you're coming to talk about the divorce, or or the loss of a loved one, or whatever, and you will, and you do. But it's all for the purpose of ultimately getting them to the cross, where you share the gospel with them. And that's the purpose of it. So, you know, Jesus, he he cared, obviously, about this paralysis, uh, but he cared more about the man's soul. And the paralysis was what got him in front of Jesus. You know, when I think about Jesus, his mission statement is Luke 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which was lost. But look with me and hold your place here to Mark. Just turn over to Luke chapter 4 for a moment, and what you'll see in Luke chapter 4 is his ministry statement. His ministry statement, Luke chapter 4, And look at verse 18. Luke 4, verse 18, he said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach the gospel. Now, get, here's the group. To the poor, he has sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captive, recovering of sights to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised. The broke, the poor people, the broken, the hurting people, the bound, the sinful people, the blind, those with false uh, hopes and false religion and the bruised, those who are beaten down in the pressures of life. That's the group Jesus went after. Those are the people sometimes, I hate to say this, Christians avoid. We, we, you know, there's a lot of work that has to be done there, so we don't really connect with them as we should. But boy, what a door of opportunity. Jesus jumped on that. He certainly did. So this man was brought to Christ because of that, that physical need and ended up having a spiritual need met. Let me give you the third lesson. This man, this man was brought to Christ through partnership. Partnership. Now, the Bible tells us that he was carried by four men. Four men. You know, when you think about evangelism, when you think about church planting, as we're engaged in, it is not a one-man deal. It's a teamwork. Amen? 
this church, and I love the story of this church, and I had your pastor share a little bit with, with my grandson, um, it, it, it was birthed out of a church. That, was, that church was the, the, the team, the prayer warriors and the encouragers and, and the, the people that helped financially to enjoy, we enjoy all that we're enjoying today because they pay the price. Teamwork is essential. So again, one man could not have gotten this guy there. It took four. It took a team. And so when it comes to winning someone to Jesus Christ and sharing the gospel, think about it that way. Some people are praying. Perhaps somebody was praying for this guy maybe for weeks or months or years. We don't know. But, but people pray, people witness, people invite, people preach, people present the gospel. It's, we, we're all involved in this process. And then sometimes we're fortunate enough to kind of pick that ripe fruit and have the joy of leading them to Jesus, although there's been a lot of work that's gone into getting that person so they're receptive to the gospel. Their heart is open to the gospel. But we're just there at the right time, by the grace of God, to be able to actually kind of finish it up and draw the net and lead them to Jesus. But it's a teamwork. It's not a one-man thing. You know, with this man, we do not know who knew the man. Maybe they all did. Maybe just one of them did. We don't know who owned the pallet that the man rested on. We don't know who knew that Jesus was back in town. We don't know whose idea it was to cut a hole in the roof. Probably not Peter's, it was his house. We don't know who got the rope. We don't know any of that. But the reality is none of that matters. They just all did their part. They just all did what they could do. And at the end of the day, guess what happened? The guy got saved. I mean, that, that's what's exciting. So at a church, it's so easy sometimes, you know, to think this, that, or the other. But, you know, when you've got a body of people just working together to get the job done, guess what? No one gets the credit but God. And the good goes to the people that meet Jesus Christ and grow in grace and benefit from the teamwork of everybody who's involved in that. So that's an exciting thing. They all work together to bring this man to Christ. Here's the fourth lesson. This man was brought to Christ in spite of obstacles. Obstacles. So you can mark it down when, when we get serious about leading people to Jesus, there will be obstacles. I mean, when we're passionate about seeing people come to Christ, Satan will put every obstacle in our path as possible. And um, they had obstacles. I mean, somebody had to figure out, okay, we've got to get a pallet to put this guy on. We've got to get a rope. Uh, we've got to carry him. We don't know how far. Maybe a couple of blocks, maybe a couple of miles, maybe 10 miles. We have no idea how far he went. Then when they got there, they couldn't even get into the house. I mean, there's Jesus in the house with preaching the word. They couldn't even get in there. So now we've got we to gotta get this guy on top of the roof. Then we got to get a saw and we got to cut a hole in the roof. We got to lower the guy down. I mean, it was obstacle after obstacle after obstacle. And you know what? Sometimes when obstacles come, here's what we do we just kind of walk away. It's, it's too hard. It's too difficult. It's too challenging. We don't have what it takes. But God wants us to press through. The soul of that man was so important, they didn't quit. They kept going, they kept digging, they kept working at it. 
and they got the job done. Now, let me give you the last lesson, and then we'll wrap it up with those five practical steps. Number five, this man was brought to Christ because of their faith. Their faith. So back in Mark chapter 2, notice what, uh, verse 5, what it says, when Jesus saw their faith. So he saw the man's faith, for sure, but he also saw the men that got the man to Jesus, their faith. Um, you know, we need faith to be the soul winners, the witnesses that God wants us to be. We don't need to go into evangelism with the idea this doesn't work, or I'm too tired, or they're too hard, or they're not interested. You know, if we have that pessimistic attitude, we're not going to lead anybody to Jesus. We're not going to point anybody to Christ. But if we go in with a sense of trust and faith, that boy, if we just do our part, God certainly will do his. We know that. And we have faith. So obviously the man's faith saved him, but their faith got him to Jesus so that he could be saved. And that's the point that we have to understand. Without faith, according to Hebrews, we know the passage, it's impossible to please God. We just can't do it. So we have to be men and women of faith. So as I think about that, I ask myself, how's my faith? How's your faith? Now, do we have faith, uh, enough faith to bring someone to Christ? Knowing that if we get them, to, to, for example, to a church like this where the gospel's preached, they'll hear it. Enough faith to trust the Lord to see that person, whomever, come to Christ. You know, the opposite of faith is unbelief. And I often think about Matthew chapter 13. If you turn there real quickly, Matthew 13, and look at verse 58. It was talking about Jesus in his hometown, if you will, his country, as it's called in the, in the text. Matthew 13, and verse 57, it says, And they were offended in him, in Christ. But Jesus said unto them, A prophet is not without honor, save in his own country and in his own house. So what does verse 58 say? And he did not many mighty works there. Why? Because of their unbelief. And wouldn't it be sad if, if God is not using us to do wonderful works, seeing people come to Christ, see people grow in the Lord, because we have unbelief? We don't have enough faith to believe that people can get saved and their lives can be changed and their family can put back together and they can grow in the Lord. Wow, we need that kind of faith. And God will give that kind of faith to us. So let me shift gears and just give you practically now five steps to reach lost people. Number one, here's my recommendation. Create a short list of unsaved contacts unsaved people in your world, people that you know personally. When I talk about your world, I'm talking about your location, where you live, your relation with whom you live, your, your vocation, where you work, your education, where you go to school, or your recreation, where you play. Those five, little, those five words give us a, a way to analyze all of our relationships in those five areas. Location, Relation, vocation, education, recreation. My guess is that if we get honest about those five, we're going to find people in those five that we know without Jesus Christ. They 
go on your list. Those are the names. Now, I, you know, you, you can start with as many as you want, but in my mind, if you've got three or four on that list, uh, boy, that's a great way to start. And you say, well, what happens when I lead them to Christ? Well, then you get the paper out and write a new list, amen, um, with probably more intensity and more faith and more excitement than you did before. Why? Because you saw those people come to Christ. So create a short list of unsaved people. Number two, pray daily for everybody on your list. Every day. Pray for those people. I have some neighbors next to me. About the only thing we have in common is we're human beings and we live on the same street. But you know what? They are on my list. Those are people that I want to see come to Christ. I've had good conversations with the man. I've had good conversations with the wife. Um, I, I'm trusting God. They're going to come to Christ. I'm believing that. I, I want that faith to, uh, to trust the Lord that. So uh, pray daily for their salvation. Don't let a day pass. Uh, where you don't lift them up before the Lord. Number three, ask God to give you three things at least. Three things. Say, what are they? Number one, opportunity. Opportunity. You know, a situation where you have the opportunity to really connect, um, to really spend some, some time with them. Number two, wisdom. We... We need to have wisdom to know how to approach people. I, I, I don't think we approach everybody the same way. I mean, clearly the gospel is the same message, but how we get around to the gospel, what, what, what's in their life that we can connect with, that we can relate to, knowing something about them really helps in that, in that situation. Having just this concept of who they are and what's going on in their world the lady that I mentioned a moment ago, our neighbor lady, uh, she has cancer. And um, uh, that has become the concern for her, of course, and her family, but for us as we're praying for her. And that's, that's a, a vehicle that God has given to us for us to continue to talk to her about that and what, how she's responding to treatment. And, and uh, you know, are you praying about that? Are you open to the Lord working your life about that? Those kinds of things are very important. So opportunity... Wisdom, but here's the third one, boldness. Boldness. Some people are just bold. They're, they don't have a problem asking folks about spiritual issues. And some folks are, are rather meek, and that, that becomes a challenge for them. And God can use all of us, probably differently in many ways, but he can use all of us. And just the Lord would give you the right words, the right, the right attitude, the, the boldness at the right time. Uh, to talk to someone about Christ. So those are three things. So number one, create a list of unsaved prospects. Number two, pray daily for their salvation. Number three, ask God to give you those three things. Number four, if you don't know the plan of salvation, get that down, get that settled. Because when that opportunity comes, you don't want to be thinking, okay, I don't know how to, I don't know how to lead this person to Jesus. I want them to be saved, but I don't know how to do that. And uh, that's, not a, that's not a difficult challenge. But, but we need to be able to rise to the challenge when that opportunity comes. And then number five, have faith. Live with a spirit of expectation. I think it would be sad to go through life thinking the great commission that God has given uh, to all of us as the church, born-again believers in a local congregation, that we don't have enough faith for God to use us to do that. 
He didn't just give it to this section or this section or this section or this. He gave it to everybody. Everybody has that. So God obviously feels that all of us have the capacity, the capability of being able to lead people to Jesus because he's given us all that responsibility. And he doesn't give us a responsibility without the authority. We have biblical authority. So just to say, Lord, please increase my faith. Maybe, maybe you're just kind of like you know, a doubting Thomas, if you will, or just kind of a negative person. Just say, God, get that out of my life. I want, when I talk to people, I want to have a spirit of expectation that, that your gospel is going to penetrate their life and, and you're going to uh, give me the ability to communicate with them in such a way that I can see them come to the Lord. And I'll tell you this, if you've never led someone to Jesus, once you lead someone to Jesus, wow, the train is on the track and you're, you're going. I mean, it is so exciting to have the opportunity to open the Word of God and see that person come to Jesus because of, of your faith and your involvement and your prayers and your efforts on their behalf, the gospel track that you gave out. I mean, all of that comes together. What an exciting thing that is. And so as churches age in life, again, it's sometimes hard to keep the main thing the main thing. But I'm so thrilled with what you're doing with that track ministry preacher because I think that keeps it focused. That keeps it right where it needs to be. And um, would to God that all of us would say, Lord, I just want to see someone saved in my world, in my life. So here's what I'd like to do as we close the Sunday School Hour. Would you just pray for a moment? Your heads bowed, eyes closed. Would you ask God maybe to just kind of begin putting two or three people on your heart, two or three people that, that can go to that list, and just for a moment would you say, Lord, give me, give me what I need to see them come to Christ. Help me to be that, that witness, that soul winner that I need to be.